Well, everybody say, the favor of God is on my life. The favor of God is on my life. Last week I taught you that because of the righteousness, that because we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, God's favor rests upon the righteous. So you just need to get up every day and say, I declare the favor of God upon my family. Everybody say that with me. I declare, I declare the favor of God, favor of God upon, my family, upon my family, upon my finances, upon my, finances, upon my, career, upon my career, upon my business, upon my business in, Jesus name. in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Now last week I just had fun and I preached. This week I need to do some teaching. Right now we're looking at the shield, or excuse me, the, the breastplate of righteousness. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 14. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Last week we understood the need for that breastplate, the enemy of our souls. And we began to understand that there are two types of righteousness. One is positional righteousness. That is what Jesus has done for us. He's done everything because of his redemption, because we have been washed, we have been sanctified, we have been justified, we have been redeemed, this is why we are the righteousness of God. And it's not our righteousness, it's God's righteousness. In God's sight, you are in perfect right standing. Everybody say, I'm right with God. I'm right with God. Say it again. I'm right with God. In fact, you are just as righteous as God in his sight, in Christ, because of what Jesus has done for you. Now, I want to pick up from there and talk about the second type of righteousness. And this is experiential righteousness. Everybody say, living who like who I am. Living like who I am. Now, the modern church has a great revelation of grace, and we are thankful for that. But the modern church does not ever talk about this concept of experiential righteousness. They, they seem to act as if somehow it doesn't matter how we live. But it does matter how we live. This is who we are, so this is how we should live. In fact, grace teaches us in Titus chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Grace teaches us to live self-controlled and godly lives in this present age. Everybody say, grace, grace is, a teacher. is a teacher. So grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness. Grace teaches us to say no to, to worldly passions. Grace teaches us to live self-controlled. Grace teaches us to live upright. Grace teaches us to live godly lives in this present world. So we need to understand that what I'm teaching you right now is not anti-grace. It is not, all right, we're saved by grace, but we live by works. That's not what we're talking about. It's not living by works. It's living like who we are. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now, how does that manifest in our everyday lives? Experiential righteousness flows from decisions. Everybody say, flows, flows from, my decisions. from my decisions. The first is a decision of obedience. Romans 6, verse 13. Paul said, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present, everybody say present. present. Now you're going to see that word again and again but present yourself to God as those who have been brought from life to death and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. He said, no, nah, you're under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. 
Do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either to, of sin which leads to death or of obedience which leads to righteousness? So Paul said, now let's understand. If you are going to live a righteous life, if you are going to live experientially a righteous life before God, there is a decision of obedience. A decision, of, everybody say obedience. obedience. We make a decision of obedience, and that decision involves who and what and where we present ourselves. Now, many of you hear things that you don't want to hear. Well, you should not have presented yourself in that environment. You see things that you don't want to see. Well, you should not have presented yourself in that environment. You experience things that you did not want to experience. Well, forgive me, you presented yourself. Everybody say, I presented myself. I presented myself. Now, there's a lot of sin that we don't ever need to be tempted with. Jesus taught us to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Lead us not. God will lead our life in a way that we do not present ourselves to sin. Everybody say, present myself. Present myself. Now, you know, if you're a guy and you present yourself in a club with the drink girls and you present yourself in such an environment, you're going to have a problem because you are presenting yourself. If you turn on your computer and you go to a pornographic website, don't be upset with God because your mind got filled with nasty stuff. You presented yourself. Everybody say, I presented myself. I presented myself. You know, you go over and boyfriend and girlfriend and you're visiting and you haven't seen each other in three months and the parents go to bed and you stick your hands where they don't belong, both of you do, and you go, how did we get into this? Well, you presented yourself in the situation. Now, brothers and sisters, please, I don't in any way say this in a condemning way or any other way, except to say you have to make a decision about presenting yourself. Everybody say, present myself. Present myself. He said, now, if you present yourself to anyone as an obedient slave, you are slaves to the one you obey, either of sin, verse 16, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Now, if we will present ourselves in situations of obedience, that will lead to righteousness. If we present ourselves to sin, well, we're going to get ourselves in trouble. Now, take it a step farther. Romans 6, verse 17. But thanks be to God that you were once slaves to sin, have become obedient from the heart. Obedient from the heart. Not obedient from the head. Obedient from the heart to the standard of living to which you were committed. Paul said, listen, I taught you. I laid out ethics. I laid out standards of Christian living. And he said, you were obedient to those standards of living that I taught you from the word. Now, we're going to get more into that probably next week. But I want you to understand this obedience from the heart is not obedience of, of a changing goalpost. Well, today something is right and tomorrow something is wrong. It's not a change in goalposts. Paul said, I've laid out for you ethics of Christianity. I've laid out for you standards of Christianity. And he said, you need to obey these standards to which you were committed from the heart. Everybody say, from the heart. From the heart. Not from our head, just, well, I'm, I'm going to do that because I know it's just the right thing to do. No, you do it from the heart. It's not just the right thing to do. This is who you are. This is from my heart. I do this because I desire this. I do this because I want it. 
It's it's a question of decision, a decision of what you present yourself to. Do you present yourself to sin or do you present yourself to obedience? Secondly, it's a decision of separation. So we have a decision of obedience. Secondly, a decision of separation. 2 Corinthians 6, beginning with verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? And what fellowship has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Balaam? And what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will make my dwelling among them and will walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. And touch no unclean thing, and then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Now, this separation is not based on legalism. It's based on who you are. Everybody say, who I am. Who I am. For instance, I am not a big basketball person. Shock, 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 okay? Never really played basketball when I was young. A little bit, of course, when I was in junior high school and stuff, but for the most part, never been into basketball. Football, tennis badminton those are my sports football tennis and badminton now you won't find me hanging out at the basketball court near my house why because that's not who i am now some of you young guys man basketball is your middle name and you are always hanging out at the basketball court because that's who you are separation is not legalism separation is based on who you are. Everybody say, who I am. Now he said, now listen, when it, when it comes to this hanging out with sin, that's not who you are. You have no fellowship, light and darkness. You're not a partaker in these things. These are not things that you like. These are not things you enjoy. Young people, you don't court an unbeliever, nor do you allow an unbeliever to court you because you don't have any fellowship with them. They're, everybody say, no fellowship. No there, there's no there's no, there's no being comfortable with each other because you're very different on the inside. So this is not a thing of legalism. This is not a thing of labels. This is a thing of identity. Everybody say, who I am. Who I am. You are light. You are not darkness. You are a child of God. You are not part of the world. You are a worshiper of God. You are not a worshiper of idols. Because of who you are, these are the people that you hang out with. So it's not a big deal like, oh, I can't hang out with the people I like. That's not it at all. It's a thing of, that's not who I am. Now, Halingbawa, when I was a young guy in high school, there were these guys that were always smoking marijuana. And in the high school that we were in, we were not allowed to smoke in class, but we could smoke in this one area just outside where the classrooms were, and that was called the smokers area. So not only did the guys like me who smoked cigarettes hang out there, but the guys who smoked marijuana hung out there. And I realized one day, if I'm going to hang out with these people, I'm going to be like them. Now, I was not a Christian, but I knew enough to know I'm not a druggie. We used to call them druggies when I was young. I was not a druggie. I smoked, but I didn't smoke dope. So I decided to make a decision. I'm not going to hang out with these guys. These guys are not who I am. Everybody say, not who I am. Not who I am. Now, the same principle is as a Christian. 
you like to hang out with the people of light. And everybody said? Amen. Now, th this is why we, we don't hang out with the drunkards and we don't hang out with the thieves and we don't hang out with the corrupt politicians and we don't hang out with corrupt preachers. We don't hang out, we don't hang out with that stuff. We don't hang out with the people that are figuring out how to steal everything in the company. We don't hang out with those people because that's not who we are. Now, again, this concept of separation is not a separation of legalism. It's a separation of identity. Everybody say, this is who I am. This is who I am. All right, so this lifestyle of righteousness is lived by decisions to present yourself to obedience rather than to sin, to present yourself to righteousness. This idea of living a righteous life is a decision of separation. But thirdly, this lifestyle of righteousness <laughs> is slavery. Everybody say slavery. Slavery. Now, everybody's a slave. You just determine who is your master. Paul said, Romans 6 verse 16. Do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? Now, he's writing this to Christians. Either of sin, which leads to death, leads to separation from God, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you were once slaves of sin, you have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. But just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. Everybody say, I'm a slave. I'm a slave. Now, what are you a slave to? If you present yourself to sin, you become a slave to sin. If you present yourself to righteousness, to obedience you become a slave of obedience, of righteousness. Everybody say, what am I a slave to? What am I a slave to? Now, the slavery thing, Paul speaks in human terms because there was a lot of slavery in that day. And everybody understood. It's kind of like the word bayanihan that I used a few weeks ago. Everybody understood exactly what the word slavery meant. It means you lose your right to decide. You lose your free will. You lose the control of making decisions in your life. You are in bondage. You are in what? In bondage. bondage. Now, Paul said, you understand that concept of slavery. Now, he said, you can either be a slave to, to sin, which leads to death, or you can be a slave to obedience, which leads to righteousness. He said, you can either be a slave to sin, or you can be a slave to righteousness, verse 18. He said, you can be a slave to righteousness, verse 19. Now, being a slave to righteousness doesn't mean that we've lost our free will but it just means righteousness controls our life. Righteousness, making right decisions that are right with God controls our life. Now, Paul teaches us that we are to pursue this. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 9, referring to Jesus, said, You, Jesus, have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. Now, that anointing with the oil of gladness is what brought promotion to Jesus' life. And we've taught you all of that in the past. But notice, 
this anointing of the oil of gladness, this anointing of joy, which, which brought promotion to Jesus' life, that anointing came because he loved righteousness. He pursued righteousness. This was something that he loved in his life. This should not be something that we look at as a legalistic bondage thing and, oh, you know, if you're going to be a Christian, you're not going to have any fun. Well, why do you think that that sin is fun? I remember after I got born again, some friends of mine said, you're not going to have any fun anymore. I said, what do you mean? They said, man, you can't get drunk anymore. Now, when these guys got drunk when I was in college, you got to understand, the next day, all they did was throw up and were sick. And I never did. Now, I, was, I drank, yes, but I never did understand how these guys thought all that kind of stuff was fun. So I looked at them and I said, why in the world would you consider that fun? I said, you've got to get a hold of something here. When you love righteousness, that's where you find joy. Jesus teaches us to pursue it. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Paul teaches us to pursue it. 2 Timothy 2, 21, So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Now that, that's, that's volumes, all right? He said you are to pursue righteousness with a barcada, with a barcada that calls on God from a pure heart. Now again, this is part of pursuing a righteous life. Who are your friends? Everybody say, who are my friends? Who are my friends? Uh, many years ago, I was preaching a conference with Uncle Lester in California. This was back in the early 80s. Very young man. I was probably 25, 26. And they all asked me to come into this suite that one of the guys had, and they were going to have some fellowship after the service that night. So I went into the suite. Uncle Lester was not there, and I understood why in a few minutes. I walked into the suite, and it was all the younger guys, and one of the big shots was there. And as I walked in, I noticed the television had a dirty movie on it. And when I say dirty movie, I mean that there were naked people on the TV screen. And I thought, what in the world is going on here? And in a few minutes, they were all just laughing. Some guys had out some beers. Some guys had out a bottle of wine. Another guy had some hard liquor. And they said, come on, Dave. It's time to relax and enjoy. Now, I was like 24, 25 years old. And I remember looking around going, this is just not right. And I looked around at everybody and I said, gentlemen, we just came from a beautiful service where hundreds of people were born again. And an altar call was given and young people committed themselves to the ministry, to the call of God upon their lives. And now you guys come up here and act like demons. I said, this is not right. And I walked out. Now, later on, somebody came and knocked on my door, and they said, David, what you did was wrong. You sat in judgment on people. You will never be invited to any of these conferences again. I said, good, I don't belong here. Well, I went to Uncle Lester's room that night, knocked on the door. I said, listen, Uncle Lester, I made a mess, but I'm glad I made the mess. And I told Uncle Lester what I did, and he looked at me, and he said, you were nicer than I would have been. I said, well, I'm younger. But you have to learn. You, you have a barcada. You pursue righteousness, but you can't pursue a righteous life alone. You have to have a barcada, 
a barcada of people who call on God from a pure heart. We need friends in this life with us. But we have to choose our friends. And when friends change, what do you do? Change, change friends. We see people, see, that's one of our great weaknesses in life. We, we remember people as they used to be, and we don't see people as they are today. And we're always living in this, this life of, oh, well, this is what they used to be like, but that's not who they are today. When they change, you need to change friends. The rule is always there. We pursue righteousness with a barcada that calls on God from a pure heart. Everybody say, friends, friends. That, love God. that love God. 1 Timothy 6, verse 11. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. He's telling young Timothy, a pastor, flee these things. Pursue righteousness. Pursue godliness. Pursue faith. Pursue love. Pursue steadfastness. Pursue gentleness. These are things that we have to chase after in life. Now, now, brothers and sisters, straight up talk. There are decisions that you and I have to make in these days. And I'm not getting any farther than this today. Mm. In these days that we're living, forgive me, but there are many Christians that are getting very deep into pornography right now. Many young men and young women that are staying at home sitting on their computers, digging through pornography. They didn't start that way. Something came up and they just on a fluke followed it. That means they presented themselves. They did what? They presented themselves. Something popped up, that's called temptation. But to follow it, they presented themselves. And now death. Their life is being separated farther and farther from God. They've lost the joy of their salvation. They're being caught up in this. There's so many things happening right now in this isolation. I'm told that there are more people committing suicide right now than are dying of COVID-19 because of lockdowns. People are committing suicide around the world at an alarming rate. A lot of that is called guilt. They've gotten into things during this lockdown that they knew they shouldn't do, and they don't want to come out and face it and deal with it, and they don't know how to be free from it. Brothers and sisters, in our homes, parents, we've got to sit down with the young people and say, now listen, there are certain video games that you just don't play. There are movies you just don't watch. There are things that you just don't fill your mind with because we are believers. We separate ourselves from those things because that's not who we are. We don't present ourselves to those things because that's not who we are. I can't hear you. As families, we have to sit down and have a conversation. There are so many Christians right now across our beloved nation that their love for God is growing cold. And their love for God is growing cold because they've been presenting themselves. They get up every morning and present themselves to sin. They get up every morning and present themselves to the things which lead to separation from God. And slowly their hearts are getting pulled away from God because in their isolation, this is how Satan comes. Jesus in the wilderness, in isolation, that's when the temptation comes. We have to learn to make decisions in life. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Gaya, I will not present myself to sin. I make a decision 
to present myself to obedience, to the obedience of the standards that I find in the Word of God. And everybody said? Because we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, we make a decision. I will not participate with that type of people. I will separate myself from that because that's not who I am. I'm not against those people. I don't sit in judgment on those people, but that's not who I am. And thirdly, we make a decision that we will pursue righteousness, that we will make this our goal in life. Everybody say pursue. Pursue. We will pursue this with all of our heart and we will pursue it with a group of friends around us that also call on God from a pure heart, not from a Facebook slogan heart, not from a corrupted compromising heart, but from a pure heart in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Now you say, Pastor, that was some strong stuff today. Well, this is what we need right now. If we're going to make it through this thing and our love for Jesus gets stronger and not colder, we have to understand that in this isolation, these are times when no one can see you but God. These are times when decisions must be made and the right decisions must be made in Jesus' name. Amen? Join your hands together in your cars, please. Father, I bring to you your sons, your daughters. Father, we don't ever want to go away. You've changed our life. We remember who we were before you found us and changed us. We don't ever want to go back to that old life, Lord. We don't ever want to return to that old life. That's not who we are. You've changed us from the inside out. Father, we ask in Jesus' name, by the help of the Holy Spirit, that you'll help every family, every senior, every mom and dad, every young person, every preteen, that you'll help them make the decisions that need to be made to live like who you have made us, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.